Welcome to A Time to Thrill. I'm your host, Amy Austin. This month, um, it'll it's April. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. It means it's one year and one month into the whole COVID thing. But it's April nonetheless. And I have half a vaccine. So, and in a week, I will have uh, a week. Oh my God, Saturday. In a few days, I will have the second half of the vaccine. Um, and I'm looking forward to being vaccinated. That is currently the highlight of my life. But that said, uh, this month I am interviewing author Evelyn Adams. And I love Evelyn. You, I wish you could meet her in person. And uh, she's delightful. What she is is really thoughtful and deliberative and smart and funny and she is it's actually lovely i talk to her uh, all the time and she's great to talk to because she's thought about things and so um sadly i will say because um one of the reasons we bonded which is not the best is that uh we both separated in 2018 and um have gone through the process of getting a divorce. She has been more successful than I at that process. But um, she has been really helpful um, as we sort of go through this process. And um, she's a great person to bounce ideas off of about anything in life. I'm, I do it all the time. I'm trying not to burn her out with my uh, <laughs> needy questions. But... Um, I really appreciate the mirror, and she talks about this uh, during the interview, that she holds up to my craziness, because, you know, uh, how can I say this? One of the things I love about being a writer is that I get to be home alone all day with my thoughts. One of the things that's not so great about being a writer is that I'm home alone all day with my thoughts. And uh, somebody calls me Hetty, a, a, a friend of mine, he calls me Hetty, but like, I uh, spend a lot of time thinking and I can think myself into a spiral of anxiety. I can think myself into a corner. So many thoughts happen. And uh, what I actually love about writers is that they're also home all day. Um, So many times throughout the day, we, all of us connect. I don't know. I text a lot of writers during the day. I talk to them on the phone. I message them on Facebook. Uh, It's amazing that any books get written and any children get raised. But um, because of the isolation um, and now even more so with COVID, reaching out to people who can help you unknot thoughts feelings. Um, it's a lifeline. And even before COVID, it was a lifeline and it sort of helps me like smooth out and figure things out without just me sitting alone, spinning in my air on chair. And, um, I can't express how priceless it is. Um, it's one of the best parts about being a member of the writing community, about being a member of the romance writing community and having, I don't know, maybe I text 10, 20 authors on a regular basis. Um, it is one of the highlights of this career I chose, the ability to, at any time during today, the day, to be able to reach out to smart women who get it. They get raising children and trying to um, have an artistic career, they get living out in the world and having an artistic career. They get the part about um, the self-doubt that clouds many of the days um, when you have an artistic career. And we sort of, I don't know, it's like the blind leading the blind, but often I feel like we're holding each other's hand and we're walking through the fog. And on any given day, one of us is going to lead the rest of us out of the fog. And I appreciate that so much. Evelyn does it for me every day. She did it for me today before I recorded this intro. I was spinning like a top about the stupidest stuff. And she was like, yeah, but go right. (laughs) Um, And I appreciate that because the books need to get written. 
Um, it's important. It's important for a sense of accomplishment, for income, for many reasons. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate this community of women and Evelyn specifically for making that process a joy and a delight day in and day out. I think once you hear the interview, you will fall in love with Evelyn as much as I do. And there's a link in the show notes to um, some of the books that she talks about. And there'll be a couple of explanations for things, which I realize we shortcut uh, a lot of things that we know about um, without explanation. And I certainly will add that. So if you're ready, this is going to be a delightful hour with uh, New York Times bestselling author Evelyn Adams. Let's go! Hi, welcome to A Time to Thrill. This is Amy Austin, and I am very, very delighted today to have New York Times bestselling author Evelyn Adams with me. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, thanks so much for having me. How are you? You were just saying that um, you're in a place where there is no weather. We're currently in a little band of weather in the U.S. um, where it seems to be snowing everywhere. Um, Not California where I am, obviously, but everywhere else, including the Pacific Northwest, Texas, all sorts of things. I'm in a little pocket where we're not getting anything but rain, but we're getting a fair bit of that, and it's it's kind of soggy here. Yeah, I haven't seen rain in... Well, months probably. Okay, let me not say anything. <laughs> it it does rain here. It just hasn't been rainy this year. Um, so I have so many questions for you. So I want to say this. I met Evelyn in, oh God, 2020 is a wash. So maybe 2019 or 2018. I can't remember because it all runs together pre-COVID um, at a romance uh, writing conference in Houston. So what possessed you to go to Houston for that conference? Which one was it? Was it RWA or was it um, RAM? I think it was RAM in one of the, I went the first two years. So I don't know after that, you know, Yeah, it would, it would have, it would have been RAM then. That was, that's one of the best conferences that I have, have been to and everything about it was really beautiful. Um, I went to that one because it, because there was so much focused on backlist and I've been writing since 20, I've been writing since 2009, publishing seriously since 2014 2015 and so I had amassed a pretty significant backlist um but I was I was hitting a a rough patch personally and needed to find a way to make the work that I'd already done work a little bit harder for me and and (laughs) that conference looked like that was the way to do it so no, it's, it is a very enjoyable conference. So there's an author named uh, Sky Warren who put together a conference. And lately, not lately, in the last five years, I think I've been going to much smaller conferences put together by authors rather than much bigger conferences put together by organizations. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it really is. Because um, it's very laser focused on what I want, which is to make more money and maybe write faster, although I'm, I'm letting go of that. So I have so many questions. How did you get into writing romance? It's what I read. Um, I worked, <laughs> worked doing, doing bunches of, of different things. Um, the most recent before I started writing was, was as a um, designer, an architectural designer. I was never a licensed architect, but I did, um, I did house plans and a little bit of commercial architecture during the big um, building boom. And when 2009 hit, I happened to... Um, the the housing bubble crashed about the same time that I that I was pregnant with my third child, and so when I came back to work, there wasn't work to come back to, and I had to find something else to do. Um, so I started working for an agriculture newspaper as an ag journalist, which was fantastic. I got to meet Barbara Kingsolver's husband and go to a bunch of really cool farms and and wow. see a bunch of different kind of things, um, and that just kind of morphed into into me deciding I wanted to write. And the thing that I liked to read was romance. You know, since I was a kid, 
reading Harlequins Under the Soapstone Tables in chemistry class. You know. <laughs> I did the same. It's not even. Right? It's, right? It's, the it's, 10 it's... cents a book that you can get at the box at the library. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know the number of books I mainly read under the table in math? Because math is not that hard for me. And I just am like, <laughs> why are you spending an hour discussing like these formulas? See? Just do the formula. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm going to finish half a book. So, yeah. oh, my God. So I read a lot. So my first romances, I'll be honest, were from my grandmother. So I have, well, I have two. <laughs> I guess most people have two. So I have two grandmothers. One is like a rough and tumble sort of woman who like built her own furniture and like rode a tractor and all that. And then my other grandmother, um, I never saw out of a skirt in my entire life. Um, oh, wow. She, she wore, she always wore, she was born in 1906. She always wore a shirt, waist, dress, stockings, shoes, gloves. Like I, I really, like I only realized now, like I don't think I ever see... I think she took her hair down occasionally. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. but she always had it like in a little chignon. Like every day she got up and pulled that whole thing together, talcum powder, perfume, all that. Oh, so, wow. you know, so she's very like on the surface prim and proper. She lived in a brownstone in Brooklyn and all that. But she had a collection of romances. And the thing is, we never talked about it. So I would visit her every weekend. And um, I found, I, I actually have it. Um, it's called The Taming of Tamsin from the 70s. And there's a lot of punishing kisses and, you know, you know, she came to work as a secretary and he's not going to speak to her ever. And then he's in love with her. Um, And like in retrospect, not such a great example, but (laughs) somehow compelling. Like I would sit there, like when I would go to her house, I would sit in the kitchen while she was cooking because women and I would read those books. So she would cook, go to church and gossip on the phone. And I would sit and read those romances. Um, and nobody ever asked me because, you know, a kid in the corner reading, nobody bothers them. But I was probably not appropriate for like eight, nine, ten. But I started reading them then and oh. they were just sucked me in. <laughs> but what I was think, it about it that got you hooked? I think so much of I think so much of it for me early on was that that whole um, nobody puts baby in a corner quality to it mm-hmm. and the beauty and the beast trope, you know. Okay somebody is actually going to see me and that is going to be magic. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, magic will ensue when, when they, when they see the real me, which, which when you're, you know, 13 years old and kind of geeky is, is a dream. It is. Then, it's, <laughs> it's still a dream, but that's a different conversation altogether. <laughs> yeah. And, and that idea of, of um, being the person that can, can see the best in somebody else, see the, see the part that, that nobody else sees and that, and that through love, you know, through love that will become transformative. That has been something that has kept me in therapy for a long time. <laughs> I can't, I can only say the same. Um, right? and I'll be talking to her tomorrow because I'm trying to unknot that, like unknot that knot still to this day. I, 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 every week I, I bat my head up against it. But what were some of the earlier romances that you read? Like what lines were you into? Oh, I read the Harlequins. My my best friend had a job at the library, so I read tons of of, of those little pocket Harlequins. Mm-hmm. But the books that I remember reading weren't weren't necessarily straightforward romances. My dad was a, a, a traveling salesman, okay, and he had to fly a lot, and he 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 read voraciously. So when he'd fly, he'd come back with a book that he read on the way there and a book that he read on the way back. So I read tons of Sidney Sheldon and tons of Andrew Greeley and a little oh, bit God. of, you know, it's like a little bit of, uh, there was Erica, Erica Jong and, and a bunch of stuff that was inappropriate for me to be reading at that age, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but he, but he kind of, like, I kind of, we never talked about it. I just steal his paperbacks when he'd come mm. out. No, so never, I, you know. Yeah. No. So I will say like, so my, growing up was dysfunctional in many ways. But one of the things that was great about it is that my mother read voraciously, but she only read English novels with like tiny print because, you know, they were imported at, you know, in the seventies. And so the print was really tiny to save paper. (laughs) I know. I like now I think about it. I think I'd go blind. I don't know how she did it. My grandmother read um, Pulp Fiction. My mother's mother read Pulp Fiction. So that's where I read, like, I actually have, when she died, I took, like, the original copies of, like, Rosemary's Baby and all of those. Yeah, those books. Um, So she read those. My other grandmother apparently read romances. And they all read the newspaper and stuff like that. But because before I went to the library, I don't think I started going to the library myself until I was about 10 or so. And I mean, it was a walk. I could walk down the street in Brooklyn. But um, obviously I read what was on the shelves and it was those like three things, English novels, Pulp Fiction and Romance. 
<laughs> you had a huge library. We had, I grew up in a tiny little town and we had this, we had a, we had a tiny little library. And so aside from the books that were on the shelves, there were always boxes of, of books that people had donated, you know, that uh, they would, right. they would yes. yeah, that they'd lay off to the side and you could, and you could take those too. And that's where, that's where most of the, the, the paperbacks and popular fiction stuff came from. I read V.C. Andrews, you know, Flowers in the Attic and all of that kind of stuff too. And I was trying to think of where I got it from. And I don't, I don't remember how I, how I got, because I don't remember buying books. I remember going to the library and stealing from my dad. You know, I don't remember actually going oh. to buy books until later on. So no, I didn't. I picked up books. Yeah, there were the boxes um, in the, not in the Brooklyn Public Library, only when I was older, there were the boxes. But um, I used to like when I was 13 and stuff, and I had more, not a sort of autonomy, but I could get out more on my own. I went to used bookstores. And so you could buy, I don't know, 10 Harlequins for a, a buck or 10 candlelight romances for a buck or whatever it was. And those I would buy. I remember that. Um, but I have such fond memories of so many romances. I can't even tell you. <laughs> Well, it's funny because it never occurred to me that it was something that I shouldn't be reading until we went to, um, we used to go to the beach every summer with a, with a family um, from Virginia that my parents stayed friends with all along. And I was reading on the beach. It used to be my favorite thing. We'd go, we'd park ourselves at, at, at the Outer Banks and, and, you know, the grownups would drink gin and tonics on the deck and, and we were free to roam. So, right. I go to the the beach every day with my books and sit and read all all day. It was fantastic. And one day the father of the other family came down and saw what I was reading and said, you know, you shouldn't be reading that. Did the stern dad voice. I'm like, what do you mean I shouldn't be reading this? You know, it was the first time anybody had told me that there was such a thing as books that were appropriate for kids and books that were appropriate for adults. I think, I think my dad just figured, you know, if I was going to read it, that that was okay. Yeah, no, that's how I grew up. If you were reading, it was okay. Although I will say this, I now remember in fifth grade, Wifey by Judy Bloom was like the the secret book that people read under their desk. Like it was handed around in class. I remember this. Um, Tuck Everlasting and Wifey, those were the two like oh, wow. most popular things in fifth grade that people were like passing around. So there was that because I don't think although Wifey, I think we got from the the, the, the library. The library. Um, it's school. So I'm not sure. I, I'd love to know more about who was ordering those books now that I think about it. Because um, it was K through six. I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, it was just, uh, just an elementary school. Yeah. But um, now, I, now I have so many questions. But what made you think you could write romance? Because a lot of people, that's always the line in the sand, I think, where people sort of veer between, I could write this, and then I do write this. I think that um, I think because I had been a reader for for ever, that was part of it. But I think the reason that I felt like I actually could do it was because of, of writing for the ag paper, because I I wrote um, I wrote for them long enough that I felt like I had had some proficiency, and that was originally what I wanted to do when I was in high school. And then I got sidetracked by a boy and went down a completely <laughs> different path. Um, so once I started writing for the paper and felt like, okay, well, they're paying me for words. So mm-hmm. that, you know, there, there was a, a certain level of, of um, validity there. I started, I actually, the first book I ever wrote was a middle grade novel and I entered it in the local writing contest and I, I got third place in the local writing contest. And I thought, well, okay, that's, you know, like I can do something mm-hmm. um, that book will never see the light of day again. And there, were, and there were a handful of them in between there before anybody ever saw saw that. But, you know, it, it may be hubris, but that was, it was the combination of, of working for the ag paper and, and feeling like I had gotten a little bit of competence. But I and think- then just writing tons, you know, tons and oh. tons of stuff that never saw the light. Oh, wow. But I do think it takes hubris because, you know, unless, well, unless you are whomever, we can get into that, then, you know, your first novel is basically like spec writing. So, I mean, you're sitting down, you know, and making, taking the leap in, yeah. in generally in your spare time to put together that first 30, 50, 100,000 words, whatever it is, um, and be willing to send it out. So what was the first book that you, that you decided was um, publishable? Uh, I did a little bit of like old married people erotica. (laughs) First off, um, while I was on the school board, that's a not the best plan. (laughs) 
but also also part of the reason why I write with a pen name. Um, but the first book that I felt like, okay, well, this is this is the one was um, feels like home. It's the first Sutherland book. Mm-hmm. And I was really deliberate about how I plotted it. I, my my first my undergraduate degree is in um, fine art. Okay. And I was a starving artist for, for a long time. And I knew that I did not want to be a starving artist again. I did not want to do that with, with my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted a genre that was commercially viable. I love romance. So, that, so there was nothing, you know, about that, that didn't feel like a good decision to me. Right. And um, so I sat down and I plotted out the whole series with wow. heroes that hit the tropes, you know, not that, not what would happen in the story, but, but the family, you know, I knew I wanted a doctor. I knew I wanted a lawyer. I knew I wanted a businessman. I knew I wanted um, heroes that did these jobs so I could actually get into the sub niche ca- categories on, on Amazon and get more visibility that way. And so that was a very deliberate choice. And since then, pretty much everything I've written with the exception of the Rita book has been, um, picking out of like there are 12 things I want to write about at any one time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's picking the one that feels like it's best place from a, from a um, career standpoint to then go ahead and write it. So it, it's not exactly writing to market. It's just, it's just taking out of all the ideas I have and all the, the things I want to write. What do I think is going to be the best fit for, for where we are now? Um, it's part of what has made the last year so difficult because I, I don't know where we are now. Where, you know, it's like, like all of those kind of touchstones are, are, are gone uh, and figuring out how to, how to navigate it has been really challenging. Wow. Okay. So you have a very thoughtful approach. I did not have that kind of approach. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm currently in awe because I don't think that way. Um, I still don't think that way. I look at <laughs> K-Lytics reports to try to think that way. Like, no joke. Like, I really am off in my own little world. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. This explains so much. So I don't um, think that way in the rest of my life. This was just the one place where I happened to manage to be deliberate about something, <laughs> not just, you know, kind of. That's hilarious because I'm, I'm deliberate about everything in my life, but not this. Um, so, but you know, it doesn't it's... work. And I have a very good example of when it doesn't work. I had a, um, I had an entire uh, political. I'm, I'm a political junkie, and mm-hmm. so I had an entire political series planned out. And you know, when you talk about writing for your id, agriculture fits in there too. So I had a hero who came up with these food systems. It was fantastic. I paid for the first time I paid for a, a cover shoot you know, with, I picked the, I picked the, the model that I wanted to be my, my, um, hero. Mm-hmm. I paid for seven books, cover, uh, cover images for seven books, plotted it all out, wrote half of it in 2016. I got, got posters made, did a website, you know, I'm going to do it along with the presidential election. It's going to be fantastic. Right. It was a really bad idea. <laughs> Because nobody in 2016 wanted to read about sexy politicians. <laughs> yeah, I know. I yeah. So I um, that was it was a unique time in history that we may not replicate, or we may. Who knows? But that's um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's so interesting. I I'm sorry. The idea of planning. Okay, so I'm trying to do that now as an adult. <laughs> but you know, it took like 20 books before I thought about having a plan. Um, so that's fascinating. I, I have so many questions. One, I want to ask you about the cover shoot. So I did a cover shoot not in 2020, 2019. Um, and it was the first time I did one. And okay, I'll say this. I walked into the room. I picked the models like ahead of time. I mean, it's LA. And I walked into the room and I, I freaked out because they looked exactly like the people in the book. And I know that the people in the book are not real. Like I know this, although I said to my son the other day, I was like, oh, my friend Casey goes, mommy, Casey's a character. It's <laughs> like, oh God, I, I need to lay down. Um, but, <laughs> you know, 10 books in, we're, we're friends. So- yeah. But I walked in and I was like, oh, I need to take a minute. And I had to walk out. Did anything like that happen to you? I didn't actually go to the shoot. So the the photographer and the model handled it between them and sent me the images. So I didn't have I didn't have that moment. But I did spend an awful lot of time looking at his pictures because he looked exactly the way I wanted to hear. No, it's fascinating. Yeah, that part was fantastic. And that the idea of of of, um, characters becoming real to you, Mm -hmm. I um. In, in the last book, next no, I guess it's book five in the Sutherland series, the patriarch of the family dies. And I wrote 
I wrote that I wrote that scene from his point of view and oh. sobbed like a child <laughs> for, for, for an hour and a half afterwards. My, my ex-husband was, we were still married. He was out of town and he called me and he called, and I was like, you know, just a sniffling snotty mess. I didn't write for another day and a half after that because I didn't want to tell his kids that he died. Oh, and God. that's what, <laughs> that's what I was going to have to do in the book. So I was like paralyzed for a day and a half, just because I didn't want to tell the imaginary family that the imaginary father had imaginarily died. I, I don't know. Like, I'm going to be honest, like the people exist in my head as if they're real, which is probably why I called mm-hmm. them my friend when we were, my kid and I were on a walk the other day. But it's, I don't, I know they're not real, but in my head, they exist, they exist. Like other people, they just exist. I mean, I don't know how they would not exist. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. It's a weird sort of phenomena. So, um, okay. So I have another question. So you wrote ag. So are those mainly like feature type articles or straight reporting, straight journalism or? Mostly feature type articles. Um, lots of, lots of um, farm features where I, I would get to go visit either a first generation farm or um, when I got to meet Barbara Kingsolver's husband, which was like maybe the time in my life when I fangirled the hardest. <laughs> I have those moments. They're not oh, always he would pretty. Say things. We had, we had lemonade and, and afterwards and he'd say things like Barbara told me to, ch- to change my pants. And I thought he sleeps with Barbara Kingsolver. <laughs> <laughs> like, made it the whole way through without saying, I love your wife so much. Um, you know, but, th- but those kind of things were, were, were um, feature articles, largely farm to table kind of things, alternative mm. agriculture, you know, hydroponics, things like that. I got to go to a fish farm, which was fantastic and just a brilliant idea to bring um, protein that you can, that you can raise in almost an industrial setting. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about that is that fish actually thrive that way. So unlike cramming animals together, you're not, you know, they, you're not, um, doing something that works against the natural nature of the fish. They like right. to school. They like to be put together that way. They, they do well in that environment. So like there was lots of that kind of stuff that was really cool. And then I got to cover, um, I got to cover the small grains conferences and stuff. So you get to see these guys get their bowling trophies for the, for the, the amount oh. of grain they grow for, a, for acre. Right. Yeah. It was fantastic. I loved it. You know, that is it was, it was fascinating. A great job. I don't, wow, I don't ever, I, my whole life that I never got, get out that much. I mean, I used to read some of them when I used to spend more time, uh, whatever, sourcing food and going to local mm-hmm. farms and stuff like that. So I used to read about it. Now I don't have the kind of time. And actually I've already streamlined my system, so I don't have to go back and, yeah. and change it. Um, although COVID's made that hard, but I was thinking about it this morning, but it is what it is. Um, okay. So then um, the other thing I want to know about was, okay, so what's your read a book? Oh, that's Deposition and Adair. It's okay. the first Saints and Sinners book, and it was my shiny ball, and I wanted to write it so badly, and I'd start working on it, and then I'd talk to my writer friends, and they're like, okay, fine, but you need to go back and do do book six. <laughs> <You know? laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, but I really want to, and they're like, we know, but you need to go back and do books. I, okay, but I know, but it's really these people, and they, we know, mm-hmm. finish book six first. <laughs> And so I, I finished book six and I took some time and it was, it was unusual for me because at that point I was on a publishing schedule where, where I was, I was juggling two series, um, the Sutherlands and the, and, and then a, um, a billionaire series that was kind of a straightforward, sexy billionaire right. series. And I, so I would, I was staggering my releases, but I was on a schedule where I was pretty much, you know, four books a year, five books a year pretty tight production schedule for the Rita book. I wrote it and I didn't do anything with it for months. Oh, wow. Um, which is something that I had never done before. And then went back and did my first round of edits months after I had finished the first draft. And I really liked that process a lot. I would, I would like to be able to, to um, repeat that because having the time to get it the whole way out of your head mm-hmm. before you go back into it was really um something I enjoyed and something I think was, was good for the book. And that book was also the one where I, since I didn't have plans for it, um, you know, it, it lost like 10,000 words and then gained another 20,000 words. It, it went back and forth a lot more than, than my other books did um, oh. before, you know, before I got done. So was it more like a book of your heart then? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> 
then I think you've now proven that whole book of your heart thing can be a huge thing. <laughs> um, so what year was that? I'm not good with years. Uh, 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah, 2018. So did you go to the conference that year? I don't even know I did it was. in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was that year. Okay, yeah. sorry. It's not the San Antonio year, which means that was 2017. Yeah. Maybe. Well, or 2019, maybe. I think San Antonio was... No, San Antonio was before. Yeah, it was it was um it was Denver. Right. Okay. Was the RWA. And oh. you know, somebody who went to RWA when I was just, you know, a fledgling writer getting to go as a reader nominated writer was kind of fun. I could only imagine. <laughs> um so what was that like? Because I okay, wait, who do I know? I'd have to think too hard. I should have thought about this beforehand. So I mean I've had friends who are nominated. I don't know if I've had any who've won. I'd have to think about it. Um, but it was such, there's a lot of anticipation um, going into that um, and sitting through the ceremony and all of that. So what was that like? The um, There was having, being validated by a group of your peers was really lovely. Mm-hmm. That part was really cool. Um, especially for somebody who's indie published. Right. Because I had had commercial success. You know, I have, I, I've been supporting my family for six years and was the primary breadwinner and still am the primary breadwinner for, for our family. At that point, it was a family of five. Right. Um, so I had a fair bit of, of commercial success, which felt fine, but there's something about that, that validity that comes from having a group of your peers say, no, we really like your work. And that felt, that felt really good. That was kind of like, that was kind of like the getting pulled out of the corner Mm-hmm. moment you know where you felt uh, like okay well it's like they, they really do like me okay <laughs> <laughs> they love me, they really like they really do you know um that part was really cool oh wow so, the rest so, of it was kind of nerve-wracking oh my god did we wait what dress did you pick out because i remember like my friend when she was nominated was like i don't know she was texting because well I hate to say that she lives like 30 miles away, but in California, that could be Mars. Um, but she was like texting <laughs> pictures. Like I wouldn't, we wouldn't, I mean, I see her every so like once a month, but not that often, but she was texting pictures of like the dresses that she was trying on um, for the ceremony. Well, that was like the thing that it was kind of, that was kind of bittersweet because you get nominated. Right. And then, and then you get, you get to join this group with all the other people that are nominated. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that everybody worries about, you know, like you finally have this little bit of validation from from the professional organization, and like ignoring the RWA implosion that happened afterwards. Right, right is, subsequently. You know, like, yeah. But 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 in that moment, it was okay. Well, you know, there's this little bit of validation, and all anybody could worry about was losing ten pounds so they could fit into the dress. <laughs> you know, true. like it was this huge thing. And I went to my oldest son. I said, okay, I need a dress. And I need for my butt to be smaller than it is now. <laughs> so we started going to the gym and he, like, and it's like, it's like giving, it's like giving free reign to this 17 year old sadist who works out all the time and saying, you know, tell me what to do. And so he ended up, um, I ended up working out with him for, for months getting ready for it. But I actually got a pug, um, like the pinup girl mm-hmm. dresses, which I still love that's the only time I ever wore it and I would very much like to wear it again (laughs) (laughs) and it's a slinky black ruched you know oh wow okay curvy girl dress it was fantastic okay so what was it like then um I'm trying to think because they were nighttime then because they were both at night golden yeah yeah. the ceremony was the ceremony was um it was it was kind of overwhelming you know I I'm need to clarify because I, w- I want to make sure that I didn't mislead you. I did not win. I was nominated. I did right, not win. No. Julie Kenner, Julie Kenner won that year. I saw her on Sunday. No, on but Zoom. Was- Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't see her anywhere. <laughs> we were on well, Zoom. Like that was another, that was another cool thing was, right. was getting to go out to breakfast with Julie Kenner because my first RWA, her book was one of the books that they gave away. You know, that was sitting on your chair. Yeah, chair yeah. And so like to all of a sudden be nominated in the same category that she was at the same time that she was, was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, but the, but the ballroom presentation was really, that was, that was bigger than I expected it to be, you know, with okay. the, the big screens and, and everything. It was yeah, like the a bigger screens. deal than I expected it to be. I think when at the last, like the first RWA conference I went to was maybe 2006. And I don't think anything, it wasn't like that at all, but technology and time um, do change. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And my um, sister got to watch too, you know, which was kind of cool because they they broadcast it. So she watched the broadcast from Pennsylvania, which was oh, that is cool. Kind of nice. Oh wow! So that's can I just tell you? So that's a huge range. I mean, um, from ag writing, although I did a lot of nonfiction writing as well before fiction writing, from that to like you know read a nominee, that's a huge leap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a huge uh, what do we call it? Career leap. I mean, it's you know, it's a big it's a big jump. Yeah, I guess it was. I didn't. I didn't think about it, but yeah, I guess it is. It is kind of a big jump. Okay, so I have um, so many other questions. What? So, how many books have you written? I ask this because, so in my world, people. So I live in LA um, most part of the year. Well, all of the year last year, and um, you know, people write screenplays. People have all sorts of things going on, and people. I'll tell them I've written like over twenty books, and people seem to think that's like amazing. And I'm like, but you haven't met my friends. <laughs> Because they write you know, way more books than me. I I should know this, and I don't. I think it's 28, 28 or 29, um, the bulk of which I wrote in 2014 to 2018. I've, I've only published two books in the last two years. So Would you... Would you say then that you're a fast writer? So I don't think I've ever published. Let me say this. So you know the process you were talking about with the reader nominee nominated mm-hmm. book where you went back. So that was my process up until maybe this year when I realized that's not the way to go in life. But so I would write a book and then I would put it down for six weeks to six months and I would start something else. And then I would go back and edit when that book was long out of my head. You know, and you read it and you're like, who wrote this? Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of out of body to be frank, but um, so that had always been my process. And one of the things I took the Becca Syme write better faster. And one of the That's conversations fantastic. I know she had with me is what are you getting from it sitting around? And so I never could decide if it truly was like, this is the best process or perfectionism and fear. So that's a different sort of conversation, but how, so, but I've never been a fast writer. Like, I don't think I've written maybe one year I wrote three books, maybe, I don't know, I, I, maybe 2014. But how many words do you think you write a day in order to like have re- that many releases in a year? I feel like I need to do a before times and after times. Well, I know, um, there's that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, now I'm lucky if I get up, you know? Well, like, because I, 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 um, I separated in, in 2018 and so before that, wait, you separated the same year I did. I'm so mm-hmm. jealous now because you're mm-hmm. actually divorced. <laughs> okay, different conversation. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about it later. Lots of fireworks early on. Got it done. Um, but <laughs> before that, you know, before, and 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 I probably need to go six months before that because it, a marriage doesn't fall apart all at once. Right. Obviously. But um, before that, two thousand words a day was was kind of the minimum that I felt like I could do when I was working in a book, when I was really working on a book, it was a a 6k kind of thing. You know, it was, it was a, it was a big push to get the words out quickly. And then I leave huge chunks, you know, so when I, when I write, if I don't know a character's name or if I'm going to send them to a restaurant and I don't know what they they're going to eat, I want to include those details, but I don't do it in the writing and the rough draft part. I just make myself all caps notes you know, this is what I want to gain from this. So sometimes even when I'm doing the sex scenes, mm-hmm. especially if they're early in the book and I don't know the characters yet, right? I'll do the, this has to be where he feels vulnerable because in all caps, and then just leave it until I get to the end of the book and know who they are and then come back and, and write it that way. Um, so my rough drafts are very rough drafts. But at that point I was wow. writing, you know, 6,000 words or so a day, pretty, pretty regularly. I could push to 10. I've, I've never been a, you know, I've never been a above 10 K writer. 10 is, is my max and it would wear me out and take a toll the next day, but I could do it if I had to. Um, wow. Since 2018, if I hit 2000 words now, I feel like I've done something, <laughs> you know, because I just started to get back to writing again when the pandemic hit and the kids came <laughs> Right. Yeah, I know. So, I know. Yeah. So, so that feels like, that feels like a big accomplishment now to hit 2k. And it's ah. weird because it's so far from where I, from where I used to be. 
So I'll say this. On a good day, I have 1,600 words. On a bad day, I have 1,600 words. I don't really vary. Um, But I don't leave the spaces. Like I tried that and my brain rebelled. I think I spent maybe 40 minutes yesterday looking at the menu for the View restaurant in New York City, (laughs) trying to decide what they were going to eat, which, you know, is all all of four words in a book. Um, But 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 it's... That's part of the work that has to be in your head. That doesn't right. necessarily have to make it onto the page, you know, so. I know, but I've always, so I have a lot of envy for fast writers. And um, I've determined after all these books, like, so, you know, Becca Syme, we had the one-on-one mm-hmm. and she looks at me, you know, over Zoom or whatever it was. And she was like, so the process that you have works and maybe you don't need to write faster. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, but the, what about the two to 10 K and the people who are writing like a million words a day? And she was like, does it work? I'm like, it's never worked, but it seems so alluring to be able to move a little faster. I feel like I just plod like every day. It's just a little bit of plotting like, okay, well, I got my 1600 words and tomorrow we'll get 1600 more, but it's really slow. But that, that said, I do write a fairly clean first draft because I have to fix everything because I'm a little crazy that way and 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 see that you know like i think when you average the time that probably works out out just fine no it probably does but it just it always sounds so glamorous it's like i could just see like your hands are flying or whatever and all i do is spin around in my house looking at the baseboards the part that i love and i haven't felt this in ages and ages Mm -hmm. is when is when the story is coming so fast my hands can't keep up Mm -hmm. and i have friends who dictate i've never been able to do that even even when I'm writing first person, I tried it in first person because I thought if I'm actually talking like the character, maybe that would make it easier. But I just I can't. It's like it's like pulling teeth. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. But but there's a point in the story when it's going really well. And again, this is this is old days mm-hmm. um, when it would feel like it was coming faster than I could type. And I love that feeling because it feels like at that point it feels like I I just I just have to get out of the way. You know? No, it feels like that's. Yeah, that's the, to me, that's the when it feels like magic. I had that mm-hmm. happen to me two weeks ago. And so, of course, I missed a Zoom session that I was supposed to have with somebody. And I'm like, why is my phone pinging? And I was like, oh, <laughs> and I, like I had to write him. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what my character was doing, but I, I forgot. Or I just like I started at 10. I looked up. It was noon. And I thought, oh, sorry, I can't do the call now. But um I do the flow state or whatever it is. I do love that, but I feel like it comes, I don't know, to be honest, once a week and the other days are just, just a job. Yeah. (laughs) There's respect for the job. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the first RWAs I went to, I heard Nora Roberts talk Mm -hmm. and she's like, you know, you put your butt in the chair and you write. It's a job. You do it the way other people do their work. You know, you don't, you don't get to, you don't get to goof around waiting for the muse to come. You sit down and write. And that's how you write as many books as she's written. And to me, there was kind of this, I think maybe because I came from fine art way Mm -hmm. back in days of yore and that whole idea of, you know, like divine inspiration and being, you know, struck by the muse kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to tell good stories. I wanted to find something like that one bit of truth that you find in everything. There's always that one thing that's true. And that, that little bit of truth is, is true regardless of the window dressing around it. Right. And I wanted to find that, that thing and be able to share it with other people and, and do it in the construct of, okay, well, I'm going to do this in a way that, that respects the work. So. That's so interesting. I think Nora Roberts may have had a deep influence on many romance writers because that that is the thing that gets my butt in the chair every day. It's like I was you know, trolling around looking at my son's bedspread the other day, not writing. And I thought, okay, so <laughs> I don't know. I was going to like, I don't know, put his socks away or something, you know, something that's, you know, inconsequential. But I was like, it. sometimes I call it my journeyman job. Like sometimes I just get up and I just start typing and it doesn't feel magical and it doesn't feel whatever. But what I did find, I think when I first, I don't know when she spoke about that because it did change how I wrote um, years and years ago. What I found is that when I go back and reread the book there, to be honest, there's no difference between the days when it's just plotting and the days when it's inspiration. And that's the scary part. I'm like, Oh, it's no different. (laughs) Like there's no, when I read it, I can't tell which is which. Yeah. And sometimes there's magic in the parts where you're like, I'm just going to force myself to do this until, <laughs> until exactly. I run out of the time I have to do this. 
Yeah, no, I just, trust me. I left them in the restaurant. I think I don't even know what happened. Oh, she was having a cheese plate. And then I was in the shower trying to decide if, if she's pregnant. So I have this pregnant character who's just, she was, she had blue cheese. And then the week before she had champagne, I was like, oh, she's just, she's just spiraling. <laughs> like this is not going well <laughs> for her. Bring on the listeria. I know. So I was like, oh, this this is not going well. But she's she has a lot going on in her life and it's just hard. Um, poor thing. My friend my friend Casey's struggling. Um, so it is what it is. But um I do, I do, it's it is a job. It is it's it is a job. Like, I mean, I tell people it's a job. I really like the job. I don't I've not had a job I've enjoyed more, but some days it is really literally just a job. I open the computer, I start typing, you know, and I start looking at the lights and thinking about like going out for a walk and what else can I do and look what's in the fridge. So, I mean, you know, and all the things that I can do to not do it before I sit down. I so hate clean. to clean. I'm terrible. Like I'm just, my, I'm, my, my family is Pennsylvania Dutch. My grandmothers were phenomenal cleaners. <laughs> I hate it. I'm rubbish at it. I just, it's, and, and, you know, it's like, okay, well I could write or I could clean and I'm going to pick cleaning. How does that happen? You know? No, <laughs> trust me. I was sweeping the front steps the other day um, because I, mm-hmm. like, this is what I think I actually don't like about California. So I have an arch before the door. You know what I mean? Like there's a space that's just an open arch um, because we don't have that much weather. And, but you know, dust comes in through the arch all the time. And so I was like, my son's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm going to go sweep the steps. And he was like, so, you know, him being home all day to watch me, right, has been um, a refl- a mirror that I did not necessarily ask for. <laughs> because I was like, he's like, well, what is the debate? And I was like, well, nobody needs to sweep the steps. Like, nobody's dying of, like, step sweeping. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, when you do sweep the steps, then you sit down and then you type consistently. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was like, really? He was like, yeah. He's like, because sometimes you sit there and there's no noise. And then sometimes you sit there and it's clicky. And I thought, wow. Okay. So That's then I went. That's pretty cool. I know. I went and swept the steps. But then also I do have a critic of my writing process. He's like, <laughs> well, he's like, I didn't, I know that at the end of the day there are words, but I didn't realize he, how much I paced and walked around yeah. and fiddled all day um, until somebody told me. <laughs> so. I, I, have, I have so much trouble writing in the morning. Like I have so much trouble getting up and writing in the morning. And there was a time when I would, I I would sit and stare at the screen and piddle and do anything but get my words. And then I'd go take my middle son to jujitsu and go to the coffee shop for two hours and get a whole day's worth of writing done in like no time, (laughs) you know? And it's the weirdest, it was the weirdest kind of backwards process because I thought, you know, if I could do that at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd have a whole rest of the day for other things with it. But that's not I, how it worked. No, and I wonder. So I will say this. So years ago, when um, after I had a child, so my son is eleven, um, I had to write in the mornings because that's when he was in preschool or whatever. And I finally, like after a lot of spinning in a chair and you know wrangling with myself, was able to do that because there was literally no other time to do it. And I was so proud of myself that I had finally worked out this process between like preschool and well fourth grade when I could do all of that. And, you know, now I'm back to writing in the afternoon and at night because there's no, I have to, I don't have to take him anywhere and I don't have to put the pressure on myself. And I'm, I may think, I think I'm enjoying it more. Like I used to, so I used, if I don't write before one in the afternoon, we're good. Like I can do everything else before one. And then mm-hmm. from like one to five, I love that, that, I don't know what that's magical. And then after that, maybe sometimes at night. And I wonder if it's going to be yet another adjustment period if, like, say we're all vaccinated and he can go back to school for a sixth grade in the fall. Then I'll be back to, you know, having to yeah. switch around and try something different. And I worry about that because there was a big gap of time in 2020 when I didn't write, when I was just like, what am I doing? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Well, and I, it's having everybody home that, that, is, that is crazy making for me because my kids are older. Mm-hmm. and but there's they're here you yeah, know? know like they're like they're here they're right <laughs> outside the door they want things they still expect like 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 they're old enough that they should be able to feed themselves at a certain point you know I, I say I'm not a house elf like 12 times a day because it's, it's like y'all ought to be able to handle your own stuff at this point but um there's no there's nowhere to go you mm-hmm. know it used to be when that happened I would go to the library I love to write at the library 
I'd love to go right at the library because it's quiet and, and I can't distract myself. You know, That's I can't true. come up with 12 other things I ought to be doing or I'd go right at a coffee shop, you know? It's, right. And, and so I had coping mechanisms in place when I couldn't, when I couldn't keep track of things, when I couldn't find my feet, right. I'd, I'd go out and sit right. somewhere and, and, and work. And then the work would get that much easier. Um, with all of us stuck here at home, there, there was, I don't know if, if it was a Mythbusters or, or something where they talked about morphic fields, which mm-hmm. is like the field of energy that's around you. You know, it's not, it's not woo woo, it's science energy. Right. Um, and so I yell at the kids, <laughs> at the kids a couple of times, their morphic fields are too loud. You know? <laughs> <laughs> They're just too in my face. So that's so, so interesting because that. Yeah, that was the same. I had the same feeling because people are like, but weren't you home all day already? And I said, I was home all day already alone. Alone. Mm-hmm. And I have been alone at home all day for a year. Yeah. <laughs> like literally for like, I guess at this point, 13 years. So I had a whole like, oh, look, everybody's out. The dog is walked. Now I can do my thing. Yeah. And then I didn't realize that having like a bouncy child at home all day was going to be a different equation. Can I have some grapes? Can I have a banana? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mommy, did you see, you know, the picture's pink. Did you look that up? What's going on? Oh, my God. And I was like, wow, you, you're very chatty. Uh, I mean, I know he's chatty, but he would take it away. And then I would see it again at 3.30, (laughs) not from 8 to 3.30. So that was actually a huge, huge difference. Um, And I think it affected me. Maybe if my kids had been home. I mean, I know there are um, romance authors who homeschool, so maybe the change wasn't as dramatic for them um as it would have been I don't know and I guess I guess all kids are different you know it's like I thought since mine were older that it wouldn't be an issue and it's still an issue and some of it I I think is you know like the other the other day I was down in the kitchen and I'm I have my two my two younger sons are are with me my oldest son is is in Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. he's 21 um so the the boys were downstairs in the kitchen and went down to get something and they hugged me and we just stood there and like hugged each other for moments. Right. Um, and nobody wanted to let go. And I thought, we're all afraid, you know, like uh, everybody, yeah. we're just worn, you know, mm-hmm. it's not that there's anything cataclysmically wrong. No one in our family is sick. Right. Um, you know, we're fine. We have a safe place to live. All of the, like all of the basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs, things are met. Right. But we're just all really afraid. We're worn out. We're not as strong as we were before, or at least not as, not as on top of things as we were before. And and we just kind of need each other more than we did. And I think that's, I think it's probably a, a universal experience to a certain extent too, you know? I haven't thought like, about that. Yeah, because my son's been hugging me more, but I thought it was just in my head. It was because he was here as opposed to, you know, at gym class or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But maybe I hadn't thought about the frayed part because there was a period. So in L.A., it was very, um, I don't want to say COVID free because that's not at all true, but it was a very like low thing. And we're not packed in like I'm from New York City where clearly people are packed in. And I mean, it, we have high density, but it's lower than a city like that and so for a while it felt okay and then we had a huge hit in november december whenever that was and um i i could i don't want to say i could sense the fear but it it palpably changed and everybody was like a little bit more fried um but that Mm -hmm. it did change sort of the energy like even in the city like people were like okay well we're not going out again and um but we're also exhausted and it just changed everything and especially creatively there's a lot of creative people here who are not working and worried I mean there's some other issues going on too um and or they're on set and then the set gets closed down because somebody tests positive and then it's up again like two weeks but that's a lot of like upheaval yeah to sort of live through um but I'm hoping on the other end well we, we come out better and um a I'll be closer to my son that's for sure but b that um the creativity sparks again. And I have like the wide range of ideas that I used to have. I I think I still have them. I just think, well, I don't, it's hard to get through them all. You know what I'm saying? It seems more difficult than it used to be. It's like walking through molasses. That's what it feels like. It really does. Because it's not, you know, I know that there are some people that are really, really struggling and we are not, we are not really, really struggling, but we are walking through molasses. It's just, everything is harder than it, than it needs to be nothing works as smoothly as it did before that for for the boys and I, we were coming off of, we were coming off of a really difficult 
divorce Mm -hmm. and it had just taken like it had taken us up until right before the pandemic to come up with coping mechanisms for okay you know like we finally moved from watching the vampires rip each other's heads off on tv (laughs) (laughs) our our previous coping mechanism to like functioning like normal people relatively speaking you know to to now we can't do any of the things we could do before we couldn't go to the gym we couldn't do you know it's like all the things that you used to do to to deal with feeling down, right. To deal with those kind that kind of slide down, downward were, right. were gone. And so like trying to figure out how to come up with something new or how to navigate something new has been, has been hard. And I, like, I, I hesitate to even say it because, because like I said, it isn't like, there's it's nothing terrible here. Yeah, I know, yeah. but it's, it's, um, it's sort of, I don't want to call it like a psychic pain, but it's sort of a, it's like a cloud, to be honest. It's like a cloud hovering yeah. over. I think that's how it is. And you keep looking up and you think, oh, that cloud's still there. But, yeah. I, you know, like I cooked, I ate, I went for a walk. Like, you know, I drove the car, I can get gas. Like all the things that I, you know, some yes. of them seem normal, but but only like normal-ish, I think is what I yeah. want to say. Um, not the way they used to be. So what are you writing now? I'm working on two things. I'm doing... Um, the third book in the series that deposition was mm-hmm. the first book and I released, I released the second book this year. That's, that's the one or not this year, last year. Okay. Um, that was, that was my last year release cocktails on a kiss. And then mm-hmm. this one is beauty and a bite. And so I'm working on that one now and loving it. Um, but I'm also doing another passion project, which is, is um, Grace's story. It's going to be East of Eden's farms. It's about a, um, it's, it feels more autobiographical than anything I've ever written before. Mm-hmm. It's a woman who, um, gets divorced and rebuilds her life. And she does it by, by buying a farm in North Carolina and turning it into a wedding destination. Um, okay. which is like trying to, trying to balance that feeling, the feeling of, of her personal life and her personal love story, having crashed and burned, with watching all of these other people, helping all of these other people start on their, you know, like start their love story, start their, start their journeys. Um, And it lets me write about, you know, she gets to have chicken, she gets to do things. So I get to write about the things that I would like to write about anyways, (laughs) um, with a large ensemble cast and, and all of my work tends to be, I like to write steamier and, and that's, I'm, I'm better at that than I am at, at, at writing less steamy. So so the first, um, the first book, which is the one that I'm almost finished with now, is is the first time that Grace decides she's gonna she's gonna enjoy the company of a man again after. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was really fun because I get to kind of I got to kind of pull on um, my dating experience and things mm-hmm. you know things that happened and that was that oh, was interesting too. Dating so. is its own. That's all. <laughs> oh my lord! When you're talking about finding the one true thing, good gracious. <laughs> No, I was driving the other day and I yeah, thought, I was, like, I was like, but I only need one person. So why is this so hard? <laughs> like, I only need one. And I live in like a metropolitan area with like 10 million. So in theory, like one should not be like this difficult. Um, and yet it is. But that's me. I, 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 I It's all on me. I will I figure me out first. I don't think it's just you. And I, will, and I will say when we were talking about therapy earlier and about oh. that, about that beauty and the beast thing, I, I came to it after it was actually, it was actually after Ram this year. And Theodora Taylor's talk, and I went to my therapist. And I said, "Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I'm still doing. So I'm trying. I'm trying to explain the the seminar to the to the to the man that I'm seeing. And I realized as I'm talking to him, I'm still doing this thing. <laughs> you know? I'm still expecting to change him with the magic sex. You know, like I'm still expecting that that is the thing that is going to be the." You know, and so I went to my therapist and she said, she said, oh, honey, she said, it, it's, um, that's generational work. That's, um, that's the kind of work that women have been doing for, for ages. It's not just you. And it's not just this time period. That's, you know, like that goes way deeper than just, than just, you know, one woman's experience. It's, it's more universal than that. So. Oh, that's so funny. I was actually thinking about that today and I'm not going to change him with the magic sex. So. Um... <laughs> No matter what he says. So right, and the lure is strong. It is so strong. I'm like, but, but I was like moving my bike or something. Cause I was loading and unloading my car with something. And I was like, but no, but you know better. Oh, but no, <laughs> but no. Um, 
because I drove past, past the street because the neighborhood is entirely too small. So um, <laughs> all this to go to like Target. Yay. So um, what is the story that you're trying to tell? Um, so a few months ago, somebody asked me this um, about my writing generally. And she was like, what is the story you're trying to tell? And until somebody had asked me that, I had never thought about it. I was like, I'm just writing these stories and, you know, whatever. But when I sat down and actually thought about the question, um, I realized that I was trying to tell the story of, like, broken women who are healed by, A, pick your thing, romance, um, vindication, you know, it it could be whatever it is. Um, And who knows, that's probably my story. But what is the story that you think you're trying to tell? I think that maybe part of um, part of one of the things that's changed for me, because in the beginning, I think the story I was trying to tell was was um, it was more about families. You know, Mm -hmm. the Sutherlands is a big family. The the billionaires, it wasn't a big family, but they made a family. You know, that idea that you you're either born to people you love or you collect around you a group of people you love and that that's a that that. um that we don't do this by ourselves you know none of us do this by ourselves there there's 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 a big ensemble friends family you know blood relations or chosen relations are the are the the support people and then and then the love story fits into that so you watch all the you watch all the people in these families find their their pairs and the love expands and gets bigger and keeps going and going um i think it's shifted now to more of a, when you, um, when you grow up and you hear about people getting divorced, you think to yourself, well, that's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing. <laughs> like, I, I hate that. That's a terrible thing. When you actually go through it and you start talking to other people who've been divorced and you realize how many people are walking around with, with wounds. I know, you know, and like, they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be some big cataclysmic abusive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's that, um, it's that choosing to love someone and giving yourself to them completely. And then for whatever reason, the happily ever after doesn't last until ever after. Right. And then you have to figure out what's next and you have to figure out who you're going to be in the next spot and what you're willing to do with your heart, you know, and your time and your energy and all of that kind of, st- of stuff. And that's a different, that's a different kind of love. It's a different kind of thing. And that, that I think is what I want to, that's what I want to tell now. That's the story that I want to talk about now is, is the, the, what happens afterwards. I read something this week where it was a, a poet um, who said that, you know, maybe the brokenness is the point. Now, maybe the beauty is found in in our in our broken pieces, rather than than it it being like this always striving to be whole. And I think that there's something in there. I I don't know exactly what it is yet because mm-hmm. I haven't found it myself yet. Right. Um, but I think that that's what I like. Our, from a creative standpoint, that's what I want to wrestle with. That's what I want to. That's what I want to explore. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing and self-reflective and now I can't wait to read the books that are coming in your future <laughs> well it isn't anything yet <laughs> I know but it will be <laughs> but it will be that's the beauty of it that's because it will be huh I'm amazed see now I'm all interested in now the future the future Evelyn has as opposed to the past well, um, well, no, because it's interesting. I think that maybe there'll be a shift. And it's something I've actually thought about. So I'm not writing romance right now um, because I don't even know where to begin. And I think that maybe in the future I will, but it'll be a completely different experience. Like it will be less, you know, I, I was looking, listening to some playlists in the car when I was driving the other day and every song has like some iteration of save me in the refrain Mm -hmm. and I was like oh maybe this is a theme and I think that my original romances were people sort of like these broken women and they found a savior but I think that one of the things I learned in the last few years is that nobody's going to come save me and I have to save myself and that's a hard lesson but maybe in the future romances should I write them uh 
my characters will save themselves and maybe they'll be more whole people more whole less broken i don't know more whole people seeking out other people and fitting together in a, a different way yes and that like <laughs> that's like some of the songs are hard to sing along with even though you really want to sing along with them it's like the you know i listen to the words and go but i don't want I don't want to accept you for all of your bad stuff. I want you to deal with your bad stuff and get on with it. Exactly. <laughs> like, like yes. I, I want us all to handle our things and then I, and then we can come together and, and handle stuff together. But, but, you know, like I, that, um, that savior kind of thing, I, I don't want that. And I don't want to do that anymore. No. And so spending time yeah. with characters that are, that are kind of rolling around in that place doesn't have an appeal either. You know, I want characters who are who are finding their own way, who are making their own space and dealing with their own things and making mistakes, but but growing. Yes. Yeah, it's, yes. it'll be different. It'll it'll be interesting. It'll just be different. And one day, um, I sort of see myself looking back and reading like you know books from the books I wrote in two thousand whatever six you know five six seven eight and what's <laughs> you know years are passing I mean that's like fifteen years um, and then books I write in the future um, I want I, in my head there'll probably be a line and it'll probably be clear like these are the books from this era and then these are the books from the other era and I don't think either era will be any less valid you know creatively but it will be at least for me, probably a hallmark of growth as a human being um, and as yeah. an artist. And I, we all need growth. <laughs> at least I do. We're supposed to grow as artists. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the writing commercially, the writing as a job doesn't negate the artist part of it. It, it took me a while to figure that out, but it, but it doesn't. It, it just means that you find a way to tell a story in a way that people want to hear it. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, 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 that's just good storytelling. No, That's, it is. No. Yeah, because I live in obviously a place where a lot of the art is commercial, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I find no fault with it. I, I had a, an argument once with somebody yeah. about that. And he was like, but if people are making money, have they not sold out? And I was like, no, they're telling stories that people want to hear and packaging them in a way that you know people will take. And I yeah. think there's nothing wrong with that because getting your stories heard or seen, whatever, depending on the genre, um, by or read by a lot of people is a beautiful thing. Yes. I think you're right about that. And so with that, I will end this interview with Evelyn Adams. I want to thank you so, so much for uh, making the time. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Um, I, I, so I love Evelyn. Evelyn, so um, in addition to my therapist, Evelyn actually gets it in life. And I know very few people who get it, but she's on the list of people that I turn to when I'm like spinning around about life. And I'm forever grateful for that role that you have in my life. I am grateful for that as well, because you have saved me from from, from very many cute boy mistakes. <laughs> And yet I still make them. But that's a different conversation for a whole different time. A lot easier to see that for other people than it is to see it for yourself. I appreciate your your role as mirror in my life. (laughs) We all need maybe one or two of them. Not more than a couple, but I do appreciate that. Um, Thank you so much. This has been A Time to Thrill with me, your host, author, Amy Austin. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It will help others to find and listen to my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. They're available wherever books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can follow me on Instagram at ThrillerPod, find me on Facebook at Casey Court Series, or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with you soon with more great conversations.